Tonight's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Thank you for reading that. It's a great time uh, worshipping God. It's a great time singing and praying and uh, great to hear about our kids and our, our youth ministry as well. We do start a seven-week series called, as you can see on the banners, Together for His Glory. And I want to ask this question as we begin on this theme of Together in Christ. Who are we? Now, there are men, women, sons, daughters, fathers and mothers there are students and teachers, there are lawyers, nurses, accountants, designers, gardeners, builders, and a few others. There are the builders generation, the boomers generation, the Gen X, the millennials, the Gen Z. There's the left wing, the right wing, and what I call the middle wing. There's the sporty, the arty, the nerdy, the wealthy, the poor, the middle class, the educated, the uneducated, the single, the married, the divorced, the widowed. The loved, the ignored, the lonely, the rejected, the hopeful and the hopeless. And any crowd like this, so we're a mixed crowd, but more than that, we know as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we are also sinners and rebels against God. We have sinned against God and others, and others have sinned against us, and we carry those hurts into our lives as we move forward. But let me tell you something tonight. No matter what you have done or what has been done to you, in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are new creations. In Christ we are children of the living God. Grace has changed us. We are not the product of our past, 
but the product of Christ's work on the cross. Do not let anyone judge you or condemn you for what you've taken place in the past. Do not let anyone condemn you because maybe you haven't reached their standards of perfection as a Christian. Christ has died for you. And when you receive him, trust in him, your life is transformed. And therefore, I want to remind you tonight that your primary identity should not be in your achievements or your failures or your family background or your marriage or your popularity or your career or your wealth or your relationships. Your primary relationship or primary identity should be in Christ. You are a person who is in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, and that is what really matters. Let me say it's tempting... uh, I've been the pastor of this church for almost 25 years. It's tempting for me to find my primary identity as the senior pastor of this church. What do I do when I stop being the senior pastor of this church? I'm going to, you know, my loss. My wife is not looking forward to that day. (laughs) Kick me out of the house, go and do something. Because sometimes your job or your career, you see, or maybe your family can become your God. Or maybe your children can become your God. Maybe your sporting team can become your God. You spend more time thinking about Sydney FC or the Bulldogs. I don't know why anyone would think about the Bulldogs. But, you know, uh, it's going to be a good year this year for the Bulldog fans. You need a good year. But if your identity is in anything else than your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're going to be let down. And in the book of Ephesians, it's a wonderful book. And tonight I'm going to deal with the first section. And in your Bible studies this week, you're going to deal with chapter 2 to see how it flows into chapter 2. But John Mackay was the president of a theological seminary. He read it as a 14-year-old, right? He got to the book of Ephesians, some of you are 14 or 15, and he, he read it and he said this, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God, he said. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. That means he'd been made spiritually alive. I was really alive, he said. Listen to the word of God tonight. There are going to be things you have to hear about what God has blessed you with that's going to carry you into this week. It's going to carry you into this month. It's going to carry you into this year. It's going to carry you into your life, the rest of your life. If you take hold of these truths in this passage of Scripture tonight and you have an outline to go with it as well. You see, it's written also to the church at Ephesus. Not just to individuals, not just to Ange Gretzunas or, or to someone else. It's written to the church at Ephesus. And that's why we are together for God's glory. We are together in Christ. It's not just about me, it's about us. We are about community. God is about community. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people. Literally, the word is saints, and that's holy ones, in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Listen to that introduction. They're faithful in Christ Jesus. You see, they have a relationship with Christ, to God's holy people. And we know that Christ is mentioned 14 times in the first 14 verses of Ephesians. And the expression in Christ and in him appears 36 times throughout Ephesians. If you want to know what Ephesians is about, it's about being in Jesus, being in a relationship with Jesus, being transformed by this Jesus person. And we're told in verse 3 that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what are the blessings? Six blessings I want to take you to. Number one, we are saints. We are saints. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people, literally saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. 
I love it he calls the church saints. Did you, did, you, did you notice he said, to all the sinners in Ephesus? No, he didn't, did he? When he writes to the church, he calls them saints. And when I speak to you, I say to the saints, to the chosen ones, to the set-apart ones. You see, because the Bible says that as Christians, we are set apart for God. That's what it means to be saints. We are holy ones. We are set apart to serve God, to glorify God. And therefore, sometimes in different churches and different traditions, you might have St. Mary and St. Teresa and St. someone else, St. Mark, St. Luke, the guys who wrote the New Testament, St. John and so on. But you're all saints, St. Angelo, St. Sarah, St. Emily, St. Annie, St. Tim. Um, We can go right around, you are in God's eyes saints. If you know Jesus, right? If you've trusted in him, set apart for him. So let me ask you this question. Do you see yourself as a saint or a sinner? What's your primary identity? Now, I know I'm a sinner. I know I make mistakes. I know each day I have to battle sin. But you know what God says about me? I'm a saint. If you spend your life thinking you're simply a miserable sinner, you can't help it, you, you fail all the time, that's how you see yourself, you'll get depressed, you'll get miserable, you won't trust in Jesus, you won't trust in the, in the power of Jesus' death uh, to, to rescue you and to set you free and to fill you with your spirit to live differently. See yourself as a, as a saint, not as a sinner. We're told that uh, non-Christians are referred to as sinners more than 300 times in the Bible. Christians are called saints, holy, or righteous more than 200 times. Only once or twice they're called sinners. Because he's writing to God's holy people. That's our primary identity. But that does not mean we don't sin. You and I, even as Christians, sin. The Bible says if we say we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are sinners, saved by grace. We are now saints. And when we fall short of God's standard, we need to confess our sin and get up and keep moving forward. Don't simply get miserable when you've sinned and failed and stay there and let the enemy, the devil, push you down. But really say, okay, I'm sorry, Jesus. Please help me. Please forgive me. Please help me now to live rightly as a saint of God, not as a sinner. Sadly, a saint sins. We are not yet perfect. It's a daily battle. Sadly, we will sin against each other, won't we? We will hurt one another. We will say ungodly things. We will say unhelpful things. God calls us to say things that will build up the brothers and sisters. Sometimes we'll say things that put down the brothers and sisters. Speak words of hope. Speak words of a future. Speak words of comfort to people. Help them. And even if they're sinning, get alongside them to help restore them. Because we too are sinners. You know, when I was at Asheville Baptist, I was in a Bible study group and there was this guy and... um, he was uh, new to our group, but uh, in a, after a little while, we noticed that he condemned everyone else in the group. To me, he didn't tell everyone else. He said, oh, you know, they're not very godly, they're not very this, they're not very that. He, he set himself up like a Pharisee above the other Christians. See, they weren't like him, so he thought, not quite right. Now, I must confess, I was a little bit like that myself when I became a Christian. See, I grew up in a place where we didn't drink alcohol, and by the way, I still don't drink alcohol. Most Christians these days do, and they have to be careful they don't drink to abuse. But when I went to university, I met all these Anglicans. They all kept drinking. I went, what's wrong with you? Aren't you Christians? I thought to myself. And I I kept judging them because I kept thinking, they can't be as spiritual as me because I don't drink. I'm holy. I'm godly. And I put others down. And God had to transform my heart and my mind. 
about that. But this guy in my Bible study group, he, uh, he left our group after a while because we weren't holy enough for him. And I met him three, four years later at Katoomba Men's Convention. And I ran into him, I thought, I wonder what conversation I will have. I said, brother, how are you going? Did you find a good church? I said, no, this is three years later, I'm still looking for one. <laughs> right? There's no perfect church, brothers and sisters. We are saints called by God to be holy, to bring glory to him. A Christian is one who has saint as their constant identity and sinner as the occasional activity. I want you to hold on to that. You're a saint. Don't sin all the time. No, no, be holy. An occasional activity. Who we are, we are saints. Secondly, we are chosen. Paul then begins, if you have your book of Ephesians, from verse 3 to verse 14, it's one sentence. Man, it just goes on and on. Paul can't help himself. He says, God did this, and he did this, and he did this. And he, he wrote a bit like how, how I preach, right? Shut up, great sinners. You just keep going on and on and on and on because you get so excited about what Jesus has done, you can't stop, right? And he's like that, and he writes, oh, Jesus did this, and God did this for us. One long sentence. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him, praise him. We sang about that a moment ago. For he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can do nothing else but praise your God. I want you to sing louder at the end of the final song tonight. Will you do that for me? <laughs> Through those masks, right? Sing louder, praise this God for what he's done. And he starts, and what God has done, he takes us right back before the creation of the world. For he chose us, this is astounding, he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to that. God knew you before he even made the world. He knew you before he even created you. But even before he created the world, he knew that in the future, because God knows everything, he looks forward, he's going to create you. He knew your name, he knew your background, he knew your family. And he knew that one day, he would send his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. Friends, God didn't just discover me 60 years ago. God didn't just discover you 17 years ago. Think, wow, wow, so-and-so was born. Wow, isn't that lovely? Never knew about them. No, no, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. How special are you, right? Out of his grace. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It's God's pleasure, God's will, it's God's desire to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us. And when I think about that myself, God knew me in eternity. He knew this kid called Evangelos Gratsunas who was going to be born in Greece and he was going to, God was going to arrange my parents to come to Australia on a ship called the Greek Elenis in 1965 three boys under five, and God knew before the creation of the world that we're going to land in Marrickville in the, in the west of Sydney, and God knew before then that he was going to send a guy to tell me about Jesus, a teacher, a primary school teacher, and God knew that as the Father drew me to himself and the Holy Spirit enlightened me that I would come to faith at the age of 15 years of age and be one of his children. It's a beautiful story, and you have a story too. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family and God knew you before the creation of the world. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You think, I'm not quite sure. I'm struggling with this. God knows you. God loves you. He's calling you to come to him, respond to him. Now, I must say, some people ha have some struggle with some of these verses. God chose us. Did I choose God? Who chose who? Both. 
They are true. Now, the doctrine of election speaks about God's sovereign choice to bring us into his kingdom. It's a word of comfort to the believers. I like to picture it this way. Imagine uh, you, uh, you enter a door to heaven. And at the front of the door, it says this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He said, I repent. I believe. Come on in. When you get inside, you, you look back and it says, chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. Both things are true. God is sovereign. We are responsible to believe in him. And theologians will debate about how it all fits together. But both things are true. You hold both things to be true in the scriptures. And it's a wonderful word of comfort to the believers. No matter what happens in life, God has chosen us. We belong to him. We are secure in him for eternity. But your security should never be an excuse for sin. Because what he does say is, here the doctrine of election is an incentive to holiness not an excuse for sin. Paul writes, God chose us in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. Saints, not sinners. God wants to transform us. God wants us to live holy lives. God wants us to live like Jesus. And ultimately, the only evidence of election, being chosen by God, being a true Christian, is a holy life, a changed life with Christ-like behavior. So let me say, if you need to repent today, if you have impure thoughts or actions or jealousy, maybe you've lied, maybe you've become drunk or you've ignored God or you have a critical spirit, God calls you to repent, to be holy. Because that's what saints do. Saints pursue holiness, not sinfulness. They want to become more like Jesus. But they rely not on their own strength. God's grace, God's love, God's will, God's purpose and God's choice. That's what you hear in Ephesians chapter 1. There's no boasting. There's godliness in the power of God. Who are we? We are chosen and called to be holy. Thirdly, a bit shorter. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Notice that God is gracious. God is gracious. What does he do? He chooses us to make us his children, to make us sons and daughters of the living God. We are family of God. So God will be praised. Who are we? We're adopted sons and daughters of God. That's what we are. And someone tells you you're something else, you're not good enough for God, you failed God, don't listen to them. God says when you trust in him, when you believe in him, you're a child or a son or daughter of God. A number of years ago, I, I went to watch the musical Matilda. Anyone seen the, mus the movie or the musical? Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, I, I love my night out. You know, when you're having a lovely night out, you have a dinner, you go watch this musical, but I felt so terrible for Matilda. Anyone feel like that? This poor little girl, rejected, mocked, insulted, unloved. That principal, Agatha Trunchbull, she was horrible. And then there was Miss Honey, right? Do you remember Miss Honey? She saw her and she loved her and she protected her and she adopted her into her family. And life started again. Well, let me ask you a question. Have your parents rejected you? Or ignored you? Or maybe hurt you? Put you down instead of lifting you up? Did they, have they rejected your faith? Do they mock you because you love Jesus? Did your father leave? Did your mother leave? They cut you out of the family? I want to show you there is one 
who knew you before the creation of the world set his heart upon you and has called you into his family. Chris Tomlin wrote a lovely song a while ago called Good Good Father. And so I might, thought I might sing it to you because it'd be a great thing to sing. But then since I can't sing, any, any chance you might sing this for us? Just a verse and a chorus just to, to drive the, this beautiful theme that says, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Thanks, Annie. Thank you, Annie, for sharing that with us. I asked her at 10 to 6 tonight if she would do that for us. Thank you. It's better than me singing it, trust me. But you see, when we talk about a God of the universe, our God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about love, we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about closeness. So no matter what you've been through, there is someone who knew you. Fourthly, we are redeemed and forgiven, verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, redemption, what does it mean when it says we have redemption? It means deliverance by payment of a price. Generally applied to the ransoming of slaves in the first century. You pay a price to set the slave free, and you pay an amount, off they go. They're rescued, they're set free, they're delivered. And see, we were enslaved to sin, the Bible says, but Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed his blood so that we might be set free from our slavery to sin. Redemption, here, then, is equated with forgiveness. You see, we are rescued from God's judgment upon our sin through the shedding of Christ's blood that was paid as a ransom price. And he says, God lavished upon us the riches of his grace. God didn't just give us a little bit of grace. He lavished on us. You know, when someone says, oh, that was a great lavishing of food, it wasn't just a little bit of food. Man, they just brought heaps of food and cake and, and drinks and Coke and whatever else. And, and after dinner mints, it's like they lavished you. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. And whether you're a criminal or an adulterer or a drug addict or a gambler or a drunkard or an immoral, the selfish, the arrogant, the proud, when God redeems you, he sets you free. You know, I was sharing the gospel with a woman down at uh, Riverwood a few years ago. I don't even remember how I met her. And we, she started asking me about myself, and I told her I was a pastor. I said, really, a minister? What, what, what do you do? And, and, what's, and I told her what I did. Then she said, what's the, the main message? So there I am on the streets explaining my sin and the fact that we're sinners, that we have a wonderful God who loves us deeply, who sent Christ into the world to die in our place, to live that perfect life, to be raised from the dead. And I said, when I trusted in him at the age of 15, I had complete forgiveness. 
I was adopted into God's family. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this outrageous joy of knowing God and living for God. And as I was speaking to her, her eyes were just getting larger, right? You ever seen someone, when they're listening in, most people don't listen in. But this woman was just watching me, glaring at me. And the eyes seemed to be getting larger and larger. And then she said, that's amazing. <laughs> and now most people said, oh, yeah, I'm not interested, mate. But for her, it was like, that's amazing. I said, yes, it's called amazing grace. Who are we? We are redeemed and forgiven. But friends, there's more to come. Verse 5 or point 5. We have a glorious future. Verses 9 to 10. He talked about the past blessing of predestination and election. God knew us before the creation of the world and chose to save us. We came to the present blessings of adoption, redemption, forgiveness. And now he looks forward because it doesn't finish here. It gets better, brothers and sisters. It says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, as we keep putting up with this COVID pandemic, there are terrorists in the world, there are tsunamis, there's family breakdown, there's domestic violence, there's, uh, there are refugees around the world, there's civil war. When we see all of those things and we think, does our world have a future? Yes, it does. Our world has a future because God has promised us a future because he didn't just know us before the creation of the world. He's got something planned for us into eternity. You see, he blesses us now. He saves us. He gives us these blessings and he's taking us somewhere. Don't just live for this world and this world alone. God is taking us somewhere when all things in heaven and on earth will come together under one head, even Christ. Christian dead, the Christian living, we all come together and all things, the cosmos, our world's going to be renewed. It's going to be regenerated. It will no longer be groaning, as I spoke on a couple of weeks ago in January from Romans 8. It's groaning now. It's suffering now. One day God's going to make it all right. A glorious future. Finally, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to need some help to live this Christian life, aren't you? You're going to need some help to keep living for Jesus. And he says in verse 11 to 12, first to the Jews, then 13 to 14 to the Gentiles, that you've all received the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a seal that you belong to God. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of, of, of his glory. Predestined, saved, why? So God is glorified. And enter the Gentiles. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now I picture myself there at the age of 15. Paul says, and you too, Ange, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And he says to you, and you too were included, and you too were included, and you too were included. Whether you're Australian or Greek or Chinese, Brazilian or Indonesian, whether you're from Ethiopia or whether you're from Uruguay, whether you're from China or Nepal or India or Bangladesh, whether you're from Turkey, whether you're from the UK, whether you're from Sweden, wherever you come from, you are all can be included. You know that new song we're, we're singing, our, our theme song? It comes out of Switzerland, right out of Europe. Just found this, Google this band and found this band a worship band right in the middle of Europe singing, writing these songs to glorify God. I just thought that's a nice touch, right, in this series. We come from all around the world, not just American songs and Aussie songs, right? 
UK songs. There they are in the middle of Europe singing songs for us. One day we'll do an African song, but there's going to be a lot of dancing there, right? When we do one of those. Having believed, you were marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And often in the first century, when you had your possessions, you'd, ha- you'd have your seal, which said, you know, that's Andrew Great Soonest's material. Don't touch it. It's his. To it belongs to, and God says, bang, you're mine. You belong to me. You belong to me. You're safe. You're safe. No one can take you. You're safe for eternity. You're mine. I love you. You're my child. No one's going to take you away from me. Let me sum up. We are together in Christ. We are saints. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We have a glorious future. We are God's possession. We have a certain inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing, as this woman said. It is amazing grace. But why does God bless us? What's the point of all these blessings? Why does God choose to bestow all these blessings upon us so he might be glorified? We get the blessing, God gets the glory. That's why our theme is together for his glory. It's not for our glory. It's not for the reputation of Nawi Baptist Church or mine or yours. We do it for God's glory. It's about him. He is the creator. He is the savior. He is the redeemer. He is the one who, who does all things right, not us. Verse 12, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Friends, when we get who we are in Christ together, we completely surrender to him and God is glorified. May God help us to live together for his glory. Amen? Amen.